Welcome to the Score and I podcast, where we bring you the best Irish league discussion each week. To find out about future shows, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Score NI. Now it's time for this week's program. This is Carl the Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kuehl. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the Score. The Score with Michael Clark. And welcome along to The Score. We're live on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark, Me, Colin Hopkins. And our special studio guest today. I'm very pleased to welcome Balna Mallard United manager, Harry McConkie. Harry, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. It is great to have you here too as well. Uh, yes, uh, a busy show. Irish Cup weekend. How are you feeling? Is your team still in it? Obviously, then you'll have a little bit more of a vested interest in all the fixtures, including a televised game tonight. Will you be attending it? Are you going to watch it from the comfort of your home? Uh, let us know what your thoughts are. As always, we want to hear your predictions and we'll be reflecting on the form of the British sides in Europe. Mixed bag, I think it's fair to say. What's your assessment of it overall? Rangers fans, obviously over the moon. Celtic fans, polar opposite after uh, defeat against Copenhagen. Wow, what a set of results. What a set of circumstances. It's all coming up here on The Score. Yes, it is uh, the score. Once again, we are back live on a Friday afternoon, and I find myself every week. Uh, it's especially this year. I don't know. Maybe uh, you can tell me why, Colin. Every week, I'm like, has it been a week since the last show, or are we doing it every day now? It feels like time is moving just a wee bit faster in 2020. It's called the age, Michael. The older you get, the quicker time goes. Is that it? Is when it... you get to my age, you'll see how quick it goes. As soon as I hit 30, it just went. Zoom. You'll be 40 before you know it. Oh dear, don't say that. <laughs> uh, it's lovely having you in, Harry. As I say, Irish Cup weekend, and we're, we're going to talk about it because uh, the Mallards, once again, are on a cup run. Yeah, indeed. Um, we've managed to make the quarterfinals two years now in the top, which is amazing for us. Um, but we're just delighted to be there, yeah, and that last over with all the big names again, and uh, we're looking forward to this weekend. I'm sure you are, and... Nice in a way to be coming up against David Jeffrey, is it? I mean, you go back a long way. Yeah, it's lovely um, because my relationship with him and Brian Midlock. I mean, Brian and I went to university together and again played in the same team together and played in Northern Ireland universities together. So we have a relationship with David and we go back right enough. I made reference recently to him um, where I met him and Jim Rogers had brought him in the back of a car to pick me up in, in Belfast and uh, we, we uh, I was having a trial at Glentorn at the time. So we met him, and that's how far back that must be, you know, 19, late 70s, you know. So yes, David, but we've come across, obviously, a couple of times. Um, David's been down with Linfield in pre-season um, whenever we were in the lower leagues, you know, and always brought a great squad and we had a great time. So Ballymene and I are, are going to be a formidable opposition with, with him and Brian at the helm. I mean, nowadays, everyone knows him as this sort of larger-than-life iconic figure who's achieved all in the local game. Back in those days, right, when you were when you were lacing up the boots and, and going onto the pitch with him, was he was he as big a character then, or what was it like then with David? Yeah, I think, I, mean, the, I think one of the, 
as you know, I work with special needs children. And again, I'm always making reference to the sensories, the things that we remember, the smells, the, the touches and everything else from all those years, you know, back you'll remember as a child and things that uh, distinctly stay with you. And one of the sensories of Debbie was his handshake. He could break yeah. your hand with a handshake, but, <laughs> but he never missed the handshake. And uh, I remember particularly was at Lauren coming out to the pitch before a match and he literally went around everybody. And I, it's something that stuck with me and, and my own players will know that I'm a great man for handshakes myself. But Christophe Moulin, Swiss coach who came over here and I thought it was a lovely thing he introduced to the, the School of Excellence, the Northern Ireland School of Excellence when I worked with him, was that um, at the end of every session, every session you, you shook hands with your coaches and you said thank you as a player a young player which I think is a life lesson to be honest but it also makes that strong connection there is a, a personal connection when somebody shakes your hand and Davey does that very well he does and because there's nothing worse than that dead fish handshake you know that sort of limp yeah. one you go oh, yeah. that is and I, there's, I don't know if there's any science in it at all but that is a surefire way to get me to never trust you yeah. if you give me yeah. one of those little limp you know when they like grasp your fingers you go oh <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right yeah <laughs> Same for me. Um, you know, he was speaking. Uh, I was talking to David last week after his his draw in the league, and he was saying, "Look, this is a game we're really geared up for, and we're not taking Balna Mallard lightly at all." He he was saying pretty much getting to the cup final last season fr- from your perspective is the perfect team talk for his players. You know, you don't be sitting looking at league tables or any nonsense like that. They were finalists last year. Just remember that when you go onto the pitch. Yeah, and I know, Davy. Um, without a doubt, will be meticulous in his preparation for us and they will have us watched. And I know his scout very well, his Joe McCall is a uh, you know opposition analyst. And so when you see Joe analyst, coming in, are you going, right, lads, we're playing a 3-4-3 today, let's yeah. swap it around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Joe came down to see me last week after the mad game, 6-4, you know, and I said to him, well, there's no problem writing that report because, I mean, there's three corner kicks and for us and I got three goals, you know, so you can imagine what what, what the onslaught will be this weekend. Um, but there is no doubt about it. I still know also as a manager that when I was playing Donstown, for instance, in the earlier rounds of this, and you're trying to say to your players, look, don't be looking at league tables. Don't be. Look- you have to be on your game. Now, we we, we, were one, we went through that 1-0 and they nearly scored in the last kick of the ball. Mm. when we had, It was a period that we dominated, should have put them to bed, but didn't do it. And the cup is full of that. So we ourselves last year went twice to penalties you know with the big boys because we stayed out in the game but we also I think there's parts of those games particularly were on point game where I think we also took control and we, we played with confidence and I would just love love tomorrow that um, we can play with confidence again but Davy will uh, say the right things but as players I think there's always that danger that in the back of their minds we should we should be beating Balna Mallard, you know. I mean, you're a man for meticulous preparation as well. By all accounts, <coughs> anyone I've spoken to says mm-hmm. you're not afraid to get a, a board out six or seven pages full of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, have you always been that way inclined? Prep, prep, prep. I, yeah, I think even, yeah, I always see my players just like going into an exam. There's that horrible feeling because there's been a few exams that I went into as a pupil and hadn't prepared. <laughs> and that horrible feeling when you turn the page and you see something that you absolutely don't recognise, at least um, because of the limit time limits we have with our players, there is a fine balance there between killing them, you know, and, and getting them drunk on data, which you can't do, mm-hmm. and clips and everything else of opposition. But... You do want them to say, look, I want you to feel comfortable in your environment. And the only way I feel you can do that is to give them as many things that are no shocks then. You know that this is likely to be their team. This is the likely way they play. And then you get an accountability where it's over to you now. You know, we've given you that information and you've got to be able to, to, to try and deal with it. It's always, I guess, a really fun balancing act, isn't it? As a manager mm. where you're you're looking at it and you're going, 
I want you to have all the information, but there is a point where it becomes too much. Correct. And I think I have to say that in my experience of the cup final was probably that, that I probably feel myself personally overplayed Crusaders to, to an extent, you know. Um, and we even did a scenario on the Thursday night where we literally said, like, this is how Jordan Owens will move between centre defenders, we'll peel off or we'll play at the back post and we've got to be on top of that and we get that second ball or if he heads towards goal, be positioned in a way we can do something about it. And we put balls in and we put balls in and the day came, bang, you know, it's still... So um, we made them aware, but we didn't deal with it, you know, and that can be nerves that, but that you can't prepare for, you know. And sometimes it can just be, and we're not taking away from Jordan Owens, I mean, his goal-scoring record stands for itself, no one's questioning that, but sometimes it can just be down to bad luck or good forward play, can't it? Yeah, exactly that. And that's why I think as a coach that you have to be so careful in how you analyse the game. And that's why sometimes you need a little bit of distance from after a game. So I would never go into my players at the end of a game and read the riot act truthfully. Um, It's a time for emotions to settle and then to get some clarity and then you're really going away to say, right, how can we make this, help them and make a difference here, you know? And I think that's the situation that you lean for. That's interesting to me because everybody's different. Some managers absolutely do go in and read the, the Riot Act. I mean, Fergie even was known to kick boots about <laughs> on occasion. I know you're a big Man United man, Harry. Yep. Um, so how do the players know then when they've they've uh, annoyed you? Is there, a, is there a tell then? I used to say, and I had it from Chairman, you know, that, that the, it's the silences in football that kill you. And there's no doubt about it when you've been told something and then suddenly it goes quiet. Um, and similarly, when you people know that you're bubbly, you're enthusiastic and you're and the boys have let this, you would have seen me at times in the, in the touchline deciding to go quiet, you know, because there's a message there to say, you know, it's over to you. You know, you need to take responsibility and ownership of this. And there's times that I want them to think and therefore they need a space. But don't get me wrong. It's not that I haven't had a, uh, let's just say, a moment of... Uh, uh, where you're verbalising your frustrations and you are saying something in in a different tone but I think it's more effective then when you do it so I wouldn't do it all the time is what I'm saying but there's a time where I feel right now maybe I need to to let them know that I'm not happy with this you know yeah, um, Colin, I, I saw a nod of the head of the silences in football that kill you. Have you something to share there? Not particularly, <laughs> but I think you're 100% right in that. Sometimes it's better saying nothing whatsoever and just let the players... Stuart, I've seen managers coming and saying, I'm not going to talk about this, just go to the change rooms and let the players think about it, to be honest. And I think that's certainly a, a positive way forward. Yeah, I, I have to say, in the special needs front of me, again, working in a special... And I always say this, that the children taught me far more than, than I ever did teach them. And I, and I do mean that that if I went into a classroom and they've been used to me being that person and I went quiet, there would be somebody who would come up and grab me by my arm and say, are you okay, sir? You know, as in they could sense straight away. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and if I'd gone out to the corridor and maybe you've had a a very difficult issue with, and it could be a, literally a member of staff giving you news that's when you're going, oh my goodness, and you come in and you don't actually say anything, but they got a sense, they had a radar and a sensitivity that you realised and would be up to say again, are you okay, sir? And in that sense, it made me you know, realise the heightened senses that they have. But if you apply that to ourselves, who maybe don't always have that same heightened of senses, mm-hmm. but you put it at a level that you know, yeah, this is, he'll know that I've gone quiet for a reason. And, and that's probably enough sometimes, you know. You mentioned earlier on there the game last weekend against PS and I. Am mm. I right in saying you were four three down on eighty nine minutes and you came back and went six four? Have you ever been involved in a game like that before? <laughs> well, there's no question about it. I, I heard a great one from I think I was reading 
uh, let me see, an article on the manager of Republic of Ireland. Um, Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy was coming in his car with his after a match where he'd been at Millwall and he'd been on the touchline and the game was going against him and his centre forward had missed so many chances and they were 2-0 down and then suddenly bang, bang, clicks in and scores and they win at 3-2. And he was with his wife, and he was, and the crowd had been giving him absolutely dogs abuse, a roaring at the back, you know, Bruce, listen, get yourself out of here. This was at the the den, I think it was at Millwall. <laughs> and he said that uh, he just sat, you know, he was so so frustrated at the way the game was going because they deserved so much more. The game turned and they won the game, mm-hmm. and he said he was going home and he called it a uh, filling station. And he went and got his wife a coffee, and he came out and paid for his petrol, and he sat in the car. And he said he just flopped in the seat. And picked up his cappuccino and looked at her and said, you know, why is it that that piece of leather has to go over the line for me and you to have a civilised conversation <laughs> you know, on the way home? And that's the final. And I'm sitting again at 89 minutes going, what am I going to be like going into Rosie after this? You know, my wife again, where, where you're, you're helpless. You know, oh, you know totally. that you should have, you know, taken opportunities to put yourself in a better position. But here you are on the end and it's 4-3 and PS and I are going to take three points off us when we need them most. And uh, then within those minutes, it changed. Now, we had made a couple of substitutions and we had changed the dynamics of the team. Um, and my two coaches, Steve and Craig, are, are fantastic at that where they, they will come to me with suggestions. I have to mull them and then I'll make a decision on whether that is right or I feel the, the visceral is, yes, the time now to do it. And we did get a response. We definitely did. But I'm sure PS and I were gutted. Uh, and I'm sure, um, you know, when they went down the road, they'd have been feeling, how did we lose that in the end? But we came back and it was, for me, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And that's such a, an eloquently told story. And it does widen the picture of the experience of everyone in football because it isn't just the players, the coaches, whatever. It's your families. You take those results home with you. I remember after the, the penalty shootout victory against Dungannon, Harry, and we were doing a wee bit for television afterwards, and you confessed to me, he says, you know, this this isn't great because I'm meant to be to play with my wife. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I was going to the Ardoan Theatre and Frank Carson was on stage and he... he um, Sorry, Dan Gordon was doing the Frank Carson yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry tribute and uh, was really <laughs> looking forward to a light evening, you know, as in maybe if things don't go our way, this will lift us and so on. But as it went to extra time, I did look at my watch and, and uh, it's amazing, you'd think in the heat of all that, I was going to myself, you know, right, there could be a problem here now, you know. <laughs> and so, but yeah, and whenever we... Um, we won that. We got on the bus. We went down the road. I literally said to the bus driver, you're going to have to go a little bit faster here. And he's got his tachometer on. He's going <laughs> to... I said, but I've got a new... So we got to the Ardoan Theatre. The bus pulled up. I jumped off the bus. I literally ran. Rosie had gone in her car in, and she was in her seat. I ran into it the, and they were just closing the doors before I got in. And Father Brian Darcy was sitting behind and he just, you know, said behind me for uh, this, the show was just about to start. And he said... Uh, great result today oh. that was all and so to sit there and watch that and um, I listened to Father Brand Darcy about two days later on the radio saying in life if you have a passion one of the greatest things is to share it with people mm. and uh, he's like you know his country western music and that's what he's making reference to I think he was on radio too Chris Evans and uh, it struck me I was coming in from sub teaching in Florence Group Primary and uh, 
I literally just heard it on the radio and uh, I thought, you know, that's a really good line that if you do have something that you're passionate about and we get to share football with people and uh, that was, I think, why the Irish Cup was a wonderful thing for myself to get to share that. So many people um, have responded excitedly to, to hear you on the radio today and, and certainly have been in touch with us, you know, delighted that you're on. Something that certainly I've experienced in your presence, you, you're you a very positive person. You are someone that does share your passion. I mean, that resonated with you from other, you know, from, from Father Brian Darcy, but obviously that's been with you from a younger age. There's been that sort of effervescence, I guess, that sort of yeah. joy of life. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I was on with Joel and, and, and Liam Beckett the other day, and, and so I'll not do want to bore people with the story again, but I had that, that, that motorbike accident that I talk about in 1974. And um, when you've gone through an accident that's, you know, uh, threatens your life, and you does certainly um, were literally, I had no feeling in my legs. There was a period of time, they said there was three millimetres from the spinal board being snapped. So you're lying in the bed as a young boy thinking, right, and my, your brothers don't recognise you because your face so badly distorted and, you know, walking past to come in to see and asking, where is the bed? Um, and I suppose then like, there was the, the, when you're lying there, will I ever get playing football again? So when I did do, do that and recovered so well, I think I've always been grateful that as bad as things get in life, you know, you have to remember that how fortunate I've been. And I think that's why I want people to do around me to enjoy the small things. It doesn't always have to be the trophies. And I said that when we, I know there's some managers will be laughing at the other side of the, 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 um, the radio today. When you talk about winning and winning and winning and everything's about winning, I do agree that it's, it's brilliant to be a winner. But there's many ways to win. And I just always said that while the trophy didn't come down to Fermanagh, you know, that great feeling of togetherness and community spirit, and um, that will never be taken away. And that was the big thing. You mentioned there about your accident. I mean, people maybe don't realise how serious an accident actually was. You were like only 14 or 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. I think it's six crushing vertebrae or something. They said that, only a few millimetres away from being paralysed for life. That's right. The, the surgeon was a lady called Miss Law and she had apparently operated... On a gentleman who'd been hit by a car and come off his, off his a bike, a, an elderly man, she said, um, literally the week before. And he was something like three and a half hour operation. Mine was four. But it was a case of when I went over the handlebars of the bike and uh, of the motorbike and the car did run over. My arms were wrapped around the axle and they split the helmet and my nose literally was ripped off my face. Now, again, to put the humour on it, um, they had to take a skin graft from one of my hips and put it onto my nose to, to build up part of my nose. So if you want to kiss my ass sometimes, <laughs> you know, feel free. So maybe when I get Big Davy down, um, I no doubt come with a big kiss on, on Saturday and then beat me. Um, but uh, if I can put him onto my nose, you know, maybe that, that might just be a way to, to... But yeah, it was the fact that it... So you're, you're conscious of how you look. You go back to school. I had one teacher... Um, in my school, which is a grand, you know, Batora grammar school, and one teacher came up to me and said at the time, um, oh, McConkie, you look ghastly. Mm. And I'll never, those are, you know, my centuries as a child. Yeah. I was building my confidence to get, the rugby team was playing at the side of a pitch. And uh, it was, 
something that again I just remembered you know that uh, and I think you are very I am still conscious obviously at times of, of how I look and you see and I used to say to people I've got a wonderful face for the radio so I'm so glad to be here and not on the side of the screen <laughs> and I, I do say that with the papers you're when you're managing a local team and you're in the back of the paper every week people are bound to get a little bit sick of that but John McVitie and a few other photographers around the place have got a knack of getting you at your worst and, and it's not <laughs> easy to get me at my best but certainly they get you to ways to say that so please uh, uh, that that thing of the accident yeah it, it did uh, leave literally a mark on me and but then you turn it into a positive and to be so grateful and to be able to play the football that I did and to get the games that I did and uh, meet the people that I did through my sport I think that's where I, am yeah, I think they did say you would never play physical sport again so just to achieve that mm. must have felt like a tremendous victory for you well that's you know what they did say they said at the side of the bed at the time we, we mu- you must never play rugby right because and I was at rugby school in Petora and I would have played a little bit but uh, soccer was my great love and I played in the backs or played in the wing uh, the famous line of Jimmy McCoy the great, uh, Jim McCoy played for Ireland in rugby and Jimmy would come when I was at Gloucester House, the ball was played out to me in the wing and I didn't hardly even knew the rules. We boy from the village in Maravilli, we didn't play rugby, it was a football. And the next thing the ball was played out and I went and saw this man coming and he was like man mountain <laughs> and he's facing me up and he's clearly going to run over the top of me and he's going to rip the ball of me and if he doesn't rip my head... So I threw the ball into touch like you would if you were out playing with your dog, <laughs> hoping that Jimmy would run after the ball and I would still survive. But of course, he did run over, ran over the top of me, picked me up with the ground and said, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> so that was my first rule in rugby that, uh, you know, that's the card way out. You don't do that. Um, but yes, and because of the impact of my spine, it would have, they said, look, stay out of scrum, didn't want me doing that sort of stuff. Don't ride a horse, you know. And again, I used to, actually, my dad, would have had um, ponies sometime that kept down the backfield. Um, they maybe weren't his, but I do remember being thrown by a horse and landing, you know, and I could see, oh, that's what they mean. <laughs> they don't want me to land on the spine. But, uh, but they never said, don't play football. And that was the big, in my outlet, I was going, wow, I can still play, which is great. <laughs> I know, it's amazing because, uh, you know, in reading up on it before the interview, uh, something like seven months later, you know, mm-hmm. if you compare, because... I know you're you're saying about self conscious now. If you when because when we first met, you, we spoke about it sort of privately before we did a radio thing. And if you hadn't have told me, then I wouldn't have known. And I, I genuinely, sincerely mean that sitting in front of you now. If you hadn't talking about it now, people meeting you now wouldn't know, Harry. But it it forms such a big part of your character. Clearly, you talk about different ways to win in life. You're winning in life, getting back on a, a football pitch seven months after a horrific, almost you know life altering injury. Yeah, yeah, I think. There's no doubt, and there's no other way to address that. I think that is it's probably then stays in you. But uh, I do know that I was always a busy bee, even before that. That's where the accident came about, in that I couldn't be stopped. I was always on a bike. I was, you, you, in our, the lovely thing of where I was brought up on the border, um, in the country, you had the freedom to run and to play. And we, you know, we built huts in the forest. We, we camped out overnight. We literally did the Tom Sawyer stuff, <laughs> uh, honestly. And I yeah. look back on that and say how lucky we were. But then you had the troubles coming and we used to play hide and seek. And we'd, we'd have gone out at night in the village, met with the boys and said, right, you three are on it, you know, and the rest of us are all going to hide. But I remember myself climbing up a pole one time and the next thing an army checkpoint came along and they all, you know, 
below the pole where I'm up the top of the pole and they can't see me and you're frightened of if I come down this pole here, somebody's going to shoot me. Yeah. You know, but literally they were setting up a checkpoint where you. Were, but we were just playing as a young people, young kids in the country, not trying to be affected by anything that was going around us. You had that innocence, but you had an energy about you. So you rode your bike everywhere. You know, you ran places, and you know that type of energy was there before ever having the accent. But I think it was just the appreciation that I'm glad I haven't lost that, and mm. I, I was able to hold on to it. I think it's testament to you that you're able to relate so well to footballers now when the experience of the young players that you coach now is so very different to the life you had and, and what you grew up with. Yeah, and, and again that goes back to I think the children in the school of Willowbridge School helped me greatly that way about just we're an exaggerated, you know, their, their senses are exaggerated form of what we all mm. think. We have our insecurities, we, have our, we need our confidence and so on. And I see that in young people, you know, uh, I do worry sometimes, yes, of course, the whole communication thing and our phones and the, I love, that's why on Thursday nights we always sit around the big table in our committee room and we eat together. You know, we go to pre-matches and we eat together. Um, I talk to them in pre-match things about, I try to give them life lessons, not just, but it's all through the medium of football. It can be about a footballer, mm. it can be, but it can often be even about some of my children. When I say that, I will obviously not use their names, but I'll generalise and say, you know what? And then I introduce them to some of our kids, which we've done in the past. And uh, that has been healthy for both parties. You know? in, look, let's face it, in this country, people shy away from politics all the time. You have tried to, I guess, not do that. You've tried to allow players to confront it. You know, when, when you look at the, the makeup of some of your teams and, mm. and some of the players, you've always tried to kind of embrace the differences and, and let people talk about them, which I think is quite interesting when many of us have kind of been brought up to go, just shh, don't be talking about the oil yeah. religion and yes. everyone will be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right that, you know, ignorance is a dangerous thing. And even a project that I ran again back to the school about taking the children around the different places of worship I just call it places of worship in, in Enniskillen so whether that was a chapel out in the country overlooking you know a beautiful scenery you know in Bow or whether it was literally in a St Michael's College you know the oratory there or whether it was into Batora Chapel with Reverend Kingston um down the town where kids would have walked because I had the feeling as a young boy that I was not allowed as a Protestant to walk into a chapel you know would, I would turn to salt you know that just <laughs> couldn't happen and and you parked your bike outside Clonus Chapel when you went in down the town and but you know you're very quickly careful when you went to get your bike back that you know somebody wouldn't catch you and drag you into the chapel and you'd, you know so that so it was lovely whenever Lost a very good friend and, and, and Greg Turley too, um, and I remember his funeral and I'm thinking of the soothingness and the, the beautiful way that that was presented and the environment that it was in, uh, and I, it, it captured me that time. I have to say that there was a lovely softness with it and the people in the church and everything else, and it was very much a mixed, which Greg himself was a great advocate of, uh, teacher in St Michael's School, mm. manager of Ballin and Mallard, and he encouraged people from all walks of community to to come and to. Um, embraced the club you know and he sent a great message and I just was very keen to, to carry that on I think as opposed to I know it's a slightly different conversation we'll not wade too much into it today but that is why personally I'm such a great believer in integrated education mm. for, for the value that that can bring my grandson goes to the Aaron, um integrated school you know and integrated primary and he absolutely loves it but we're very proud of that too yeah yeah um, back to football yes <laughs> uh, you've, you've so many uh, tremendous memories, I'm sure. Um, what 
talk me through a few of them, I guess, because I I could literally go anywhere in your career and talk playing days, the, all the various clubs. I mean, <laughs> it feels like there isn't a part of this country you haven't explored at this stage. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think that's that came home to me whenever I became junior international manager. That you know there was a spell that I was going around all the different clubs to ask about players, and you know it's a difficult thing in part-time football to ask a club whose players are very precious to them you know, it's, and that you're taking them away in the middle of the week and they only have a small squad or whatever and so, so there's a big trust thing there and again the good thing was I'd been around that many as I said like, you, you start off at List Law United List Ski Rovers was my first team at home as a youngster in the youth club and then List Law United was, we won the Irish Junior Cup which was the first time in 20 years was a brilliant uh, bunch of, of players who I'm still very very close to um, you then from this below, I, we played in the Junior Cup, which took you round. We that was a great adventure for us around the country. You know, on your bus all over the place, and then scouts were out watching you. So we went to Belfast, and that's how the Jim Rogers story came about with Glentoran and Jack Fulton and Linfield. So you end up then I end up at Glenavon, and then from Glenavon I was at college, and I end up you have your British universities and your Northern Ireland universities, and Irish universities. So again, you're meeting people all that in that field, and then go Dungannon Swifts. Um, Joe Macquarie, I mean, what, what a man in terms of what he has done and built there. And just, you're talking about enthusiasm and energy, and um, those things rub off on you, you know. Because so you were part of that back uh, backroom team that went to the 2007 Irish Cup final, and your son played in it. That's right, Mark did it indeed, and Harry Fay was the manager then, and Joe again had been manager and was very much uh, part of that too. Um, Rodney, his son, as you know, starred in that final also. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the Dungana Swift thing over the game was a really good experience for me, you know. But then, as I say, Alec McKee, I've got a job in Balamina. And this is what I mean. I moved around clubs, but I have to tell you, I'd love to have stayed with one club all of my life. I would, I genuinely would have been that type of person. But my circumstances, either through my work, my teaching and travelling, or else then sometimes injuries, change of manager, all those things can dictate to you. But I ended Chimney Corner with Alec McKee and a great squad of boys there. And Joe McCall, in fact, was captain of that team. And Joe is coming down to my dinner the 28th. Um, but, and he's now scouting for Balamina. Um, but yeah, after that chimney corner, then you go to Korean and that wonderful experience. Michael O'Neill and me, again, yeah, they, that was a great squad. Felix Healy and the experiences there were second none. Carrick Rangers. The reason I left Korean was because there was Jim Platt introduced a third night's training. So you had to train on Monday night as well. as And I was a youth and community tutor in Downshire School in Carrick. And I had to work Monday nights. And as a result, then I moved to Carrick Rangers. And the next thing, what happens is they introduce Friday night football. Mm-hmm. And again, it was one of my working nights. So I end up at Ballyclare Comrades. And then Ballyclare Comrades on Lawrence Walker and Paul Kirk. Uh, some great, great memories and great Billy Murray. I have a great picture in the house of Billy Murray putting a ball <laughs> onto my head, you know. And it's the quality of the ball. It wasn't the quality of my header. But but those, and, and then finished Ballymena. Jim Hagan takes me to Ballymena. And then it goes in Lauren. And then I took a break, Balamoney for a short period when Oren Kearney walks out and Jim Hagen was there. Jim had been at Lauren and asked me to come and I was ready to go home, to be honest, to, to on, a, on a career break. And then, so then I went home and of course then I went to Ballamallard and then after that, that's where I've, I've finished. But that travels when you then go into to boardrooms around the country. Uh, people remember you and uh, Ballyclare do not remember me from a football they remember me doing 100 laps to raise money for charity and Jim Platt arrived for the game and I was running that morning and the idea was that you'd run maybe 20 laps and the kids would drop off another grunt would come another player would run 
but I ran the 100 laps. And then he came and Jim went, what a plonker. <laughs> and just said, he's not playing. And I was just, I wanted to play the game, but it was a, wasn't the best preparation for a game. Because 22, I think I did 100 laps, which was 22 miles. But it raised money for the for the club, and that's what I was determined to do at the time. But uh, yeah, so how many laps in were you by the time you started to realise this was a terrible idea? <laughs> you know what drove me that day again? The kids, the kids were, la- you know, because I was like, I was captain of the club at that time, you know, and I just it was like the Pied Piper, and they said that mm. if you stop running, they'll stop running. So I kept running. They were all getting their cards marked, so we kept going. That was the, the correct? But it was. Uh, I still, as I say to you, I often say them. Does anybody ever mention a bit of my football there? Because we, we had a great league team and won the Intermediate Cup, went to the Irish League as yeah. well. At that time, Polly Clare were um, played in the Irish League and people forget that. You mentioned there about Michael O'Neill just in passing. I think there was an incident whereby you and him were in the same, same team in a European game and you were told to get warmed up for the match and then, lo and behold, it was Michael was brought on you were left on the bench. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. And Michael and I had shared the room and we'd, we'd listened to Felix Healy on the bus that night we were going to the stadium. It was against Brandenburg Stahl in East Germany. And we're on the bus and Felix has given us the whole t- talk about what a wonderful um, passer of the ball we were talking about. We were asking who's the best on, on the international team. And uh, somebody was winding it up, of course, that Felix was you know, better than Sammy McElroy, better than, than Martin O'Neill. Healy was a you know, technically more gifted, and uh, and I'd say there was people held that story truly. You know that uh, he was. I mean, what a player! But Felix was had a groin problem, and he said he was definitely there's no way he'd be out. So it was going to be probably me or Michael with the plan that maybe would start. Jim Platt took us into a wee room, and I mean it was a bedroom. It wasn't a, a meeting room. When I think of where I take my players <laughs> now, but we're all crammed in this wee room in East Germany. And he said the plan is game plan is that this is the team, and we're going to Sam McQuiston. I was up front and Sammy had a great work rate and um, I mean he'd run all day for you and he said you work so hard up top and when you're exhausted then we'll throw Harry on was the plan and of course this is the the next thing the way the game went against us and Jim at the time actually had a difficulty that day there was one that sort of juggled and went into the net and, and I'm convinced that he, again he was as a player manager it's hard to have you the, the clear head on long story short and anyway, he said get the sub on and next and Michael, the next thing, Michael went on, and I was absolutely gutted. But uh, he was 16 at the time, Michael. Yeah, and I was 26 as a B teacher in, in Valamina, and he'd actually been captain of the East Antrim Schools team for me. And we joked about that at a dinner some years ago that, you know, it wouldn't be allowed now, uh, you know, that a teacher, <laughs> it wasn't his actual I was his coach over that squad yeah, yeah. but that thing of you know a 16 year old and a 26 year old sharing a room we wouldn't be allowed today you, you obviously should, you did share a room and all of them, so you, you obviously knew him quite well that early age yeah. did you know back then what he was going to achieve did you have that feeling that this is something special I have to say not on the management front but certainly as an intelligent young man who had a great grasp on the game and was so talented. I mean, in my first meetings of him was Alec McKeed used to train us as a chimney corner team up in Ballymena uh, Secondary in a wee gym, the old, the old gymnasiums with the benches down. And Michael used to come and play in those five-a-sides, you know, with us. Um, he, he actually signed for chimney corner for before he went to Coleraine. And uh, he was, you know, 
stick thin like myself to be honest but he was at that age even thinner and, and in terms of there wasn't a bit on him but his technical ability was super and he um, yeah the benches used to take some bashing with some great <laughs> great goal scorer like I can still remember that so so vividly but he got in and uh, yeah I, I just thought that he had um, a great intelligence about him and then I, I met him in Edinburgh I've been 2013 or 14 um, and we met over for a coffee and uh, my daughter was over there uh, living there and we met and we did, that was the time when he was just in the back of 18 matches I think it was or the run where he had um, having a tough tough time mm-hmm. and uh, I remember giving him a book called by James Henders called Legacy it's about the All Blacks and I mean how prophetic was that because wow. you know I told him this is a great book you should read it the importance of leaving something behind and I said to him at the time when he Embraced this whole thing because you know you, he said the night he'd been meeting Mourinho. It was one side of him, and Roy Hodgson I think was the other side at Old Trafford watching the match. I said, Michael, at your young age, you couldn't buy that. You could not buy that. You know, so as difficult as it may be, you know, stick in there and try and make sure that you, you learn. So he's a he's a very bright boy. Done very well. I know, and his story as well. I mean, it, it really did feel like, it feels like an eternity ago that people were questioning Michael O'Neill as a manager and now Northern Ireland fans are just so desperate to keep a hold of him. That's exactly right, yeah. I mean, it's it's been the happiness again. This is back to the centuries, isn't it? Yeah. The emotion, the car, you know, Sweet Caroline and that song and the place bouncing. And my junior international boys, we got, after the Regents Cup, we got presented with caps on the pitch tonight at the Greece game came out before the Euros and uh, that they were carrying him around the pitch, the place was bouncing and all I could think of was that myself and him in that week cafe, you know, in Stockbridge in Edinburgh where it was uh, anything but rosy at that stage but it's, it reminded me myself when I was having a tough time to, to, to keep going, keep going. I mean, you tell these stories uh, with, with such a great fondness and such a great memory. I'm just thinking... You must take like a fortnight to go down your contacts in your phone. You know, if you're trying to phone somebody, you go, Harry, have you got, have you got, mm. you know, Jimmy's number, whoever? Mm. Yes, just bear with me. It'll be the next week because you, you, you must keep in touch with so many people throughout the years. Mm. There's, there's, when people tell you, like, none of us are an island, and that's the way it should be. I mean, when, when you are, um, they try and remember that there's, there's people out there, but there's no doubt about it. That's what, that's what I think probably struck me about the Irish Cup final that. I was getting texts from people. Uh, I talked previously about building a wee team at Maravilla at 69, so for 50 years ago, people who had played with me then were sending me texts and wishing me. And it's the one that I really did find exhausting was after the semi quarterfinal, semi final, you came home and you had 86 texts you know, to, to say to people who were sending wow. lovely messages, but you woke up the next morning and there was another 86 when you just cleaned it off, got to bed at 2 o'clock. Because I said to my wife, I'm going to have to answer these now. I have to tell you, there wasn't as many after the final. Um, but truthfully, again, come back to the silences that kill you. Um, it, people were being empathetic and probably saying, he's probably feeling a bit tough tonight. I'm not going to. But when they wanted to share your joy, they were on. And but saying, and, were, and I was going, that's amazing. I haven't heard from him since. And it was just lovely to go back and answer all those. But as I say, when you got to bed at two o'clock and your head was spinning and you got up, and it's like a hoover that doesn't work and you've just got to do it all again Mm. and I was going how do people do this that are really successful you know if they get that but uh, it was still an experience that you you did did enjoy I suspect you're the sort of man who would feel obliged to answer every single one of those texts too as well yeah I I, I think that's very important Uh, and I do know that 
even Kenny Shields again, who was a great manager man at Carrick Rangers and plays the game in a way that I absolutely love and is an excellent coach. And uh, Kenny used to get annoyed with people as they tell me that they would climb the ladder that wouldn't come back to him on a text, even if it's just to acknowledge, like, contact you later or whatever. And there are people, there's no doubt about that, that yeah. leave you hanging on it and that does frustrate you because you it feel does. that silence again. Yeah. But when you do reply back, it's a lovely thing too that people, how busy they are and they still acknowledge you. And I think that's a great trait that, that Kenny Shields has too. He will, no matter what, he will come back to you immediately and you know exactly how you stand and that's a lovely reassurance. I think it's a lovely point to pick up on Kenny. Obviously, uh, the the women's international manager in Northern Ireland now. Um, but so many people have one impression of him because they see him when he's maybe at his angriest. He, you know, he's he's a good man for a soundbite, as as us media folk would say, because he's a very passionate person. But but you obviously are able to see more to him than that. Yeah, indeed. I, I mean. Kenny opened up for whenever he was Kilmarnock. He brought me over. Jimmy Nicholl was assistant at the time. I uh, had a great time uh, over there with him. Anywhere he's been at Derry City, if I wanted to go and watch a coaching session, he only wanted to help. And again, I was one of his players. And I just remember when he was at Carrick, he brought John McClelland over for a session one night. And it was a bit of a storm. And he used to run us. Kenny, like he was, he was a fitness fanatic. And he, he um, Jim Hagen, myself... Him, Ian St John, ran a, a school in the summer uh, at Larn, and I remember sitting in the, like a boot room with the boys and uh-huh. us. Kenny going out and saying to me at lunchtime, "We need to go and run," and he'd run and run and run. And then he'd say to me, well, "You're working with Dean today, which is his son. I need you to work on his right and his left. Work it right and his left. I had him out last night." So his passion, um, he gets himself sometimes in a little bit of bother because he speaks his mind he, there is no filter He and that to me is a Marmite situation people love that and, and I certainly love it there's people who take an offence to it sometimes unnecessarily but they just try to have an empathy of where he's coming from because if he talks about poor pitches or he talks about people's tactics he's quite entitled I feel to do that um, but sometimes yes it's it's maybe he'll say himself maybe I haven't presented it in the best way and then but he genuinely is a, a, a great coach Interesting how you mentioned Kenny uh, says what he thinks and doesn't always go down terribly well I remember an incident years and years ago when the Stillery were playing Carrick the Whites went up 1-6-2 I think and to be honest it could have been 10-2 and he came out after the game and said we were by far the better side <laughs> <laughs> and I went what? and annoyed a few people at the time you know. No, he's absolutely right he does and as I said to you that's what if you as a player played for him you know and, and saw his passion and he gives you absolutely everything but he in turn demands everything and that is how you raise your standards but he, we at Carrick he had us playing some really good stuff and you know, he won the County Antrim Shield with them mm-hmm. at a time and again he got mm-hmm. that job on default almost Billy Murray was to go in that job and at the last moment Billy then pulled out and Kenny went in and, and got the job you know where he is and after a while they were going my goodness that was a stroke of luck because mm-hmm. uh, he really did find himself there and he's uh, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a good friend of mine who was the toughest taskmaster that you played under? The toughest taskmaster that I played under? I would probably say that Kenny, in terms of the, the physical demands and, and the way that he, at that particular time, mm-hmm. um, even alongside 
his quality of play that he wanted to do. But I mean, Jim Hager was a wonderful, uh, wonderful coach to play under, and come back from the continent and Celta Vigo, and his training was with the love the ball, and and we still had tough Jim. Jim put great demands on himself too. I have to say that, and I say he'd probably be close to that. But I love the fact that both of them, you know, threw that in. Um, Dungan and Swift, I'm looking back at Joe, never let you cut any corners either. Um, Paul Kirk wouldn't let you go in until you had scored past him at the end of a session, no matter how tired you were, you stayed out. But um, I, I, that's a lovely thing. I, I think I had a lot of really good managers who taught me very good habits, and I like to think that I try to do the same with my players, push the standards. You, you played under your rank 43 years old, is that right? So that's. That's pretty good going for a guy who's had not only a serious motorbike accident, but also a, and then somewhere you broke your arm in 20 odd places, is that right? Yeah. yeah, it does sound like it. He's been in the hospital records. Yeah, <laughs> I, broke my, I broke my kneecap at Dungannon. Gary Bell, a short corner, Gary Bell caught me on the, on the kneecap and I took the free kick, put it in the box and we scored. And I was going back to half the line whenever I didn't collapse, but I got to the half and I knew. I've got to go here. And my mm-hmm. kneecap had been broken straight across my patella. That was the first one. I was in college at the yeah. time, PE student. The next one was that I got a broke my tib and fib on my left leg for Crusader, against Crusaders. Sid Burroughs was the wrong mm-hmm. side of me. And Sid was a great game trained at Chimney Corner with us and a great friend. Uh, but what a player for Crusaders. And he, he just caught me in the wrong way. And I remember the Crusaders supporters as I was being carried off. And I'd broke my tib and fib. And the, Derek McKinley, who was another great... Um, Friend of mine and yeah, a great kid, man. yeah, wonderful, wonderful man, and he was. They're carrying me off in a stretcher, and and the Crusaders crowd were going da 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 da, da and throwing. <laughs> there was, so was, at the ambulance, there was being stones hit against the side of the ambulance, and I, you know, oh, to be loved, <laughs> to be loved, and after that, then of course, the, then the arm was twenty-two places. My wife got to the point literally where that one that smashed the arm that she uh, didn't go to the hospital that night. There was no point. She, you know, they look after the kids. He'll be home sometime, you know. And uh, but the ankle replacement was the one that that, uh, that you were talking about there. That was the last one where I had to have bottom of my leg, the tibias. They, they cut off bone and they put in metal and then they put plastic and then metal top of your foot which gives you a new joint and that was the one because I played from to 43 when I was told yeah. at 33 to stop um, I wore the joint away and as mm. a result it had to be replaced and I've had the second replacement just a year ago there I was going to say must, does that give you real grief when it's very cold then? That's ex- Michael it was the situation I got it done was because I wanted to continue to teach my children in the school and I asked the surgeon at the time what's the best way to do this and he said you can fuse it or you can put in a new replacement ankle I said I need some mobility to demonstrate for my children he said well you'll never run again and that's the bit I swim um, but it frustrates me no end uh, I hobble and then you'll see me walk across the pitch many a time but I'm just so glad that I have the movement in it that I have but I probably had it stopped when they told me I'd have been okay you know but I, I kept going I mean, that could be, if you ever brought out a book, I think that would be the perfect title. I kept going. <laughs> no matter what, yeah. you know, circumstances dictate uh, yeah. changes, you kept going. Yeah, I yeah. limped on. Mm. <laughs> the, the memoirs of the bionic man, by the sound of it. I know. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. I do want to give it a, a plug because you do have a ball coming up uh, the 28th of March. Um, I think it's already a sold-out affair, but it's it's star-studded, and uh, uh, you're doing it for a great reason as well. So I want to let you talk about it a little bit. The Having a ball, yeah. It was purely just that, at the end of the cup final, we didn't have any big dinner, and the club actually hasn't had a big dinner for a, some time. Um, and I felt that when I 
reflected on the cup final, the, the, just that crowd that was there. And I remember saying to myself, imagine you put that in a room, if you could capture that, you know, um, and don't let go of it. Now's the time to do it while they still remember the Irish Cup final and be in there. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't lose that. And so, yes, Willowbridge School is obviously very close to me. And uh, since I retired there in 2016, I tried to do something for them each year and I thought that's what we'll do. And uh, so I got a few people to... I have Jackie Fullerton doing compare, you know, and again, Jackie would have done a bit of commentary on some of the matches that I would have played in. And um, he's a real character, again, is, is someone that I've known through the years of football. So it's lovely to have him there. We've got um, James Martin, who, again, is a 27-year-old uh, actor now uh, who was starred in the film Ups and Downs, and uh, which highlights the the great will for a child with Down syndrome who wants to have his independence and to show mm-hmm. people, don't restrict me, I can do these things. And there's nobody has shown that more than James, who's now, I think, another word there from recently from Hollywood. That's uh, right. And is... Um, Starring a Marcella, that Philip should be coming out very soon. Um, but he's an inspiration. So, and his daddy Ivan, of course, is, is there with him, and they're a great double act. Um, Jimmy Cleary, who is someone that I have so, so much uh, respect for, again, played university football with Jimmy. And uh, he's just called, again, like Jim Hagen, gentleman Jim, uh, so unassuming and so, but so talented. And uh, I mean, so, he's one that even, even rival supporters, if they were being uh, honest, would say, one of the best. Yeah, I, I, the first time I had talked about aesthetics and sport was me. I have the images of playing on the Georgetown pitches and running behind Jimmy Cleary and watching him curl a ball. And he could ping a ball. I remember he used to hit Willie Gordon for Port of Down out in the wide right there. But he put it on a sixpence. But it was more that he could bend it. And I used to go, where is that going? It was like a golf shot. And I used to go, ah, oh. he caressed the ball. And that's what I mean about that feeling you get when you play alongside a player like that. You know he's a bit special. And for him to be a Fermanagh man, played from the Gaelic for Fermanagh, played top-level soccer in Europe, mm-hmm. um, but yet so, so unassuming and... Uh, I'm delighted that he's going to be there as well with his family. Oh, it's, a, it's a tremendous lineup and absolutely deserving of that big celebration. Um, I mean, I have to give a mention for James. But I remember a long time ago um, when I was sort of starting off and I was helping out behind the scenes on Ivan's radio show, which at the time was on U105, mm-hmm. and James and I would take turns making the coffee and answering the calls and everything like that. And it was kind of your turn, your turn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to turn up a, a month or two ago outside Windsor Park, and people were saying, "We saw we saw your your program, Jim. You're amazing, Jim. You know, and he's he's he, you know he's in all these different things. He's got an agent. He's all these people calling him. It's amazing to see. And he was telling me about the lovely food that he got in his truck. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've your own truck. He's done amazingly well. Yeah, it's that yeah, and that lovely openness and honesty that that we all you know would love to carry. Yeah. And again, he's so grateful for everything and, and that's what uh, I do enjoy. So yes, he'll he'll put people at ease on the night and we have people from the business world, we have people from the football world, we have former internationals that were there. So uh, it's 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 hoping it's going to be a really good evening that I want people to enjoy and have a ball. And proceeds from that are going to be shared between uh, your former school, which is uh, Willow Bridge mm-hmm. and uh, the Fermanagh Stroke support team of Balna Mallard United. So mm-hmm. um all very worthy of that, and I, I just noticed on the flyer something. I wish every every organisation did this when they put on an event. A prize winner guaranteed at every table. My goodness, <laughs> yeah, and that is yeah. And we we now have thirty four tables. We were limited to thirty. We thought you know, and we've now had to take the doors off the uh, 
with Kieran McKenna coming, of course, which I didn't mention there because it, it, it took Kieran a wee while to be able to confirm because it's, it turned out to be International Weekend. And yeah, right. while I've lost some internationals on that front, it's a blessing that Kieran, as you know, Ali Sulsker's mm-hmm. assistant, and he's, um, his daddy owns the hotel. So I sold it to him by saying, look, get out of that mad bubble, come home and relax. He'll not know, struggle for a room then, Louise. is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> bring your wife, Louise, with you and come up and, and just relax with his family. And uh, that's exactly what he's going to do. So uh, to have him there as well would be great. Oh, super. Um, am I right in saying it's sold out? Or if, if somebody listening to this is really wanting a ticket, can they squeeze onto a table somewhere? Genuinely, it genuinely is sold. We have had a real problem. They literally are taking doors. There's a, an area that we have to now open out and there's doors are going to have to come off the wall to get those in. Some organisation involved, fair play to you. So we're delighted that uh, we have that situation. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely mm. sure you are. And uh, it's, a, it's a great lineup, and I'm sure you'll all have a, a wonderful celebration. I mean, the, the question is, if you get to the Irish Cup final again this year, I know we're looking ahead a wee bit, Harry, but do you have to do it all again then? <laughs> Could you bring yourself to organise another one of these? Well, do you know that the 28th now, which which I didn't know because I, I took the Saturday night, you went to hotels, local hotels to see, and, and again, it's only dates that were available. Mm. It's the semi-final. Semi-final. Of the I was going to ask you that. I'm visualising more extra time, and, and more do, penalties. Yeah, I have, David, I have David and Brian coming down to that too. And, you know, Kenny Shields is coming as well. But you know the way last year, when we went to the semi-final, there was an evening game. That's right. So, and the oh. evening game was the big game because obviously for TV cameras, they're going for their Crusaders Korean match as opposed to Warren Point and Balna Mallard. Uh, and yet I feel ours was a better game. I get that in, but uh, I do think that we had a, a great match and great excitement. Um, so what I'm saying is, if Palomino go through, you know they're a big club too. Uh, it could well be that Davian Brown will not be able to make it in the end. Um, but I'd love that problem. I would just bring it on if there's a problem with it. We would uh, we certainly address it. But I could imagine if Palomino were in the semi-final, it'll be the earlier game again. It'll mm. not be the evening game. You know, when we've been talking about sort of over the course of this last hour, so uh, the then and now of football, you recall things so vividly. Do you just have a wonderful memory, or like me, can you remember everything about football, but you would forget your own friend's wedding date? You know, because <laughs> yeah. I get such grief at home for that. Going, How, oh, just court. You forgot we're going to that in July. And going, oh, oh yes, of course the wedding. You know, but I can tell you about a football match that I watched ten years ago. Yes, yeah. Again, I think it's in life when something means something to you. <laughs> You, you know, when something and I don't don't mean, take that too literally, dear friend. <laughs> I just think there, there is an element for me. You're right, though. That I mean, you could talk to me though on football, and my son could talk to me on football about players in Italy, players on. And I I can't get a grasp of of some of the European, even some of the Premiership clubs mm. now. The size of squads, the number of players. Um, when when we were younger, you know, it was very easy to remember the United, I could tell you the 68 United team, no problem. But I would struggle sometimes to tell you the present United team some days and that you know, scares me a little bit. <laughs> but you're so right. It, it's, I just mean, I come back to maybe the centuries, the thing that make you feel that you've always, those were great times and I can remember vividly. But there are things you're right that that's my wife. I can't, you know, my son, we, my grandson goes swimming with me, Harry. And before we leave the pool, uh, the, the changing rooms, he'll say, Papa, wallet, <laughs> glasses keys because yeah, he never be knows we'll be out the car and he's going to say ah oh, you know and so he has a list now a tick list to remind me and I go thanks Harry and we go and that's it but uh, you're right it's uh, somebody once said Cloppy I think said too didn't he you know that um, my brain has no more space for anything else and um, 
Denzel McDaniel around me the other day that you've got to clear your hard drive sometimes you know yeah. clear a bit of it delete a bit and uh, leave a bit of space for something else I got a wee message through social media just when somebody heard you were coming on and I've said great manager we'd love to hear him speak about Richard Clark one of my favourite players to ever watch in Irish League football over the year mm. thoughts on Richard yeah very special young man too just like Jimmy Cleary um, I think he was very hurt you know the situation that developed that day at, at um, put it down which was unfortunate because it was only a couple of individuals that were involved in that you know there's and what I said at the time was we must say nothing because the nation will defend Richard Clark I had every confidence that again I'm not a social media person but I had every and Matthew Tipton did his part on that which was very very good and very helpful but I I genuinely know how he, on the Sunday I spoke to Richard several times and it was almost like you know the players were saying you've got to defend him and so on and I went, no, there's some things are greater than that, you know, and mm. everything that he has done throughout the game, I was totally confident that good will overcome evil here in this situation, that it was definitely a miscommunication. It was not. And But you also try to look at the other person's point of view and say, look, they interpreted that way. And maybe that is understandable if you make a whatever gesture, what it was, it was clearly not what he uh, intended. And somebody has taken that the wrong way. And let's not put it out of into perspective. But he himself, as a leader for me, when I came in, Richard was on a little bit of a low, to be truthful with you, at Balamar at that time. There was talk that he was even going to retire and go to kill in his local club, which is, you know, he's very close to people there and, and was feeling a little bit, let's um, just say, not as confident. And But he came to me after the Glenavon game. I, I started him a sub that day, but came to me for the Linfield match and said, you know, I'm ready for you. If you know, have in other words, basically saying to me, have the confidence to go for me, even though you haven't seen much of me this season. And I just and I went with it. Um, and boy, has he not paid me back? He's been a, a real joy, but a, gen, a really good kid who has got a wonderful again, like Jimmy Cleary. When when Clarkie some nights, some of the stuff he does in training, and when he's spraying those diagonal balls, it's a joy to watch. And I, I know it, I know it, it motivates my younger players. And the facilities you have now, I mean, if you think back to your first spell at Ballinamallard or even just in general, what facilities mm. used to be like compared to what you're you're mm. able to do now, mm. I mean, with the, the additional training pitch and everything like that, I mean, it, it, it's fantastic what you have. Yeah, and you see that, and I love what you say the word, what, what we have. I mean, it's we, I I literally have been there, come, gone away, come back. Um, people have been there right through from the beginning from and, and have worked so hard tirelessly um, and Tom and his committee we now have got a wonderful energetic ladies committee who have you know been a wonderful wonderful addition to the club and I think that came in under Jeff Aiken as the chairman at the time and Jeff as a, you know had got some great ideas um, and I just the stewards you know are all going to the dinner um, and there's a great family feel about the place again and I, I mean we have young players in, from our community playing which are connected with the families and therefore in the area and we get that uh, whole sense of of people trying to go on the same page forward if we can. But we realise we have our limitations too. And I mean, that's why you're going to the, the IPL is obviously a dream for us all. Um, but we also must hold on to the other values that we have. And I think that's so, so important. You mentioned Urban Ladies Committee. I read somewhere that you basically have some of the ladies committee meeting. They come in with the players and you're having a bit of a chat around the table. Is that correct? Yeah. During the course of a week? Yeah. Well, on the Thursday, they provide the food. You know that that they come in, and, and um, so there's an opportunity then, obviously, to always to, and we go to hotels around the community, you know, not just in Enniskillen, mm-hmm. Irvingstown, and whatever for our pre-match meals, but also the the one of the 
in the steakhouse in Ballina Mallard and, and Helen Hurst who would be um, and Wendy Shannon are big players on, on the, the, the um, committee they with their girls would come in and service her food on a Saturday before the game and they love doing it they do it with a passion and and they're, they're wishing you all the best so the days that we don't go to the steakhouse they're actually disappointed <laughs> but I do explain to them that it's important we also get out and around to, to other, other folk but uh, yeah and the boys have a great relationship I know Jay McCartney got a very bad injury there for us last Saturday mm. um, stitches in the eye and but the lovely texts he got and uh, even Wendy went, was out on the pitch helping him being carried off and stuff like that. It's a, it's a nice feel for those players. I mean, and something for those fans as well to have the likes of your Jay McCartney still at the club. I mean, what a servant he has been for Ballina Mallard. Yeah, I mean, he got his 300th game there earlier in the year and uh, it's not just Jay McCartney, the footballer. I do mean that. Just like Richard Clark, these are good people. Ryan Campbell, John Connolly, you know, they're woven through the team uh, I do realise and they realise that's why we talk about having maybe a five-year plan but these boys don't want to wait five years. They they know and I think when you become I was that age of player myself and you you really have a real appreciation that maybe times are moving I need to make sure I stay on top of this now because this could be coming towards the end of my career and I want to you know so I think that's the Jay has been a wonderful wonderful asset to the club yeah. And you have some good young players there too. It's not fair just to, to point out that some of the older heads, is it? Yeah, I mean, th- there is no question about that. I mean, another senior player would be Chris Kelly in there also. Yeah. Um, but you're around that, you know, the Matthew Smiths, you know, are, are, are great potential. Ben McCann, you know, you have uh, on the, the forward there, Sean McAvoy, who's, you know, uh, from um, FAI International. You have... Um, Young Callum Warhead's now joined us, who's another one as great. We Sam, Rob, Simon Warrington, players through our youth, you know. Um, and I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but there are a great sprinkling of, of wonderful kids. Michal Glynn, Dara McBrien, you know, all those kids are great. Um, with your, uh, I'm going to leave the, the, the big P promotion question to the end, but I just want to ask you, with your experience with junior internationals, um, has it surprised you over the years just how many talented young players are in this tiny part of the world? Yeah, I, I, I think you're so right. You sturdy Dallas, you know, again, how well I had them with the junior international mm-hmm. team from Coke United, you know. Um, the Niall McGinn's. And, um, when you go to Fermanagh, though, alone even, like we were, like Michael McGovern, you know, Roy Carl, you know, two goalkeepers, uh, international goalkeepers, you know, Kyle Lafferty. You know, you think uh, there was one stage um, that you were going, Jimmy Cleary, you know, the international for us. Um, that when you see the population uh, and that small area of ours, and to think, uh, and I think there's a great hunger. Uh, the boys were slagging about coming down to see us, Dennis Skillen, mm-hmm. Joel, uh, and Liam. And we always do say that the road always seems to be longer from Belfast to Enniskillen than from Enniskillen to Belfast and we generally do feel that if you want to achieve anything in Fermanagh very often the base is, is here you know is, is in the east and you have to travel and you have to I mean, as a junior national manager and re, UEFA regions manager I would be up at half six on a Sunday morning you know get myself up get breakfast get out make my sure I was up around Larne for maybe half past nine quarter past nine players come in at ten o'clock and that was a Sunday morning having travelled down the road on a Saturday night from a game you know and you're right on it again, and then back to your work on a Monday and I was doing that when I was teaching as well 
and you didn't do it for one year. You know, I've done it for 15 years. So when I hear people talk about traveling down the road, yeah. I often say, come on, boys, you know, get a grip. But that also inspires our young players who are up early in the morning, eight o'clock, travel all the time. And that if you want something in life enough, then we're going to test you. And they may not feel it at times, but parents have given incredible support. So anything that is achieved from people in Fermanagh, I honestly do believe they deserve it, you know. And maybe there's within that a great lesson in terms of getting young players opportunities at clubs. You know, there's there's more than a handful of clubs that you can choose to play for. Yes, yeah. And again, you know, like down our part of the world in the West, you're talking about when I go for pick the UEFA Regions Cup and, and uh, you know, you, you, view ourselves, we have we would have nearly 300 kids. You know, our youth set up, we have a development centre, we have youth. And I think that offering our community that is, is, a, is a great, Good thing, you know. Um, but you're right. You you have to travel. Dungan and Swifts. I played for myself, you know. And um, you, you're going to Glenavon, put it down. And I mean, as a young player, I'd have gone to Glenavon, got on a bus, going off to play at Bangor, mm-hmm. come back, get on the bus, get on the bus back down to Fermanagh. It was a it was a trek. There's no doubt about that. So it's it's great if we can get to PL IPL again, and offer in our own county that level of football. That's what I, I would love most. I mean, Balna Mallard stand tall as as the Giants in Fermanagh. Certainly, when you look down that Fermanagh Super Cup team, you're going Balna Mallard, Balna Mallard, Balna Mallard. Mm. Maybe a couple of other boys from from mm. around the periphery, but a lot of mm. uh, Fernie Park representation, and understandably so. Because mm. um, I always just look at, I think Oren Kearney's very good at picking players who aren't in as obvious players. He'll, mm. he'll uncover somebody, and with you managing those mm. those guys at a young age, you think there must be so many young players playing down the leagues or, or playing in places that don't have scouts going that would be good enough to play in the championship, the premiership. Mm. They just need that opportunity. That's right. I think, Michael, but again. That's where the support of the parents come in as well. You can be very... Some children are unfortunate. When I say that, I mean that there isn't a structure there around them to yeah. help support them to get them to that next stage sometimes. And that's just a fact of life. And that's difficult. It's not that they're not talented. You just... They have been very... Some people are very fortunate. They have this wonderful network of support. Um, and whether that's young girls, boys, whatever, that they, they, they still have to... We have swimmers and Fermanagh going all over the country again. And we have... Um, Rugby players the same, not just footballers, you know, sports people travelling all over the place. But I do think um, there is no doubt about it. it it's um, it's something that we're very, very, very proud of, you know. Um, I said I'd leave it to the end, so here it is. Promotion then. Is it going to happen? Wow. No pressure. <laughs> it's. I gave him a wee heads up, though. Was no, 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 it, no. The question, I'm just mulling the question of is it going to happen? Well, well, nobody knows that one, Michael, that's for sure. Do we want it to happen? I think I was asked that the other day. Of course we want it to happen. You know, can we make it happen? Well, if you look at the table the way it is at the moment, we're certainly in the race, that's for sure. And if you asked me at the start of the season, would we be happy where we are now? I probably would have said yes. Um, but there's so much to play for. I mean, ours have come good again. Newry are coming good now. You know, we had luck all have an incredible spell. You know, put it down, have kicked on again, you know, where we thought we were closing the gap. But yet, yet we know that even, as we've seen, two draws and, and you get two wins, you're right back on the hunt again. And uh, as a cross-country runner and a young cross-country runner, I used to tuck in tuck in in the pack and and then go from behind 
and uh, time my attack and I would just love my boys to try and apply that where when it comes to the real business end of the season now that we could possibly kick on here um, but you're not in control of Michael injuries the wrong suspension in the wrong game that wrong key player being out mm-hmm. um, the referee's decisions there are so many variables and that's why you've got to be ecstatic when you win a game of football because there are so many uncontrollables and when they come together and you get the smile on the face for people but they have no idea sometimes of what goes in to make that happen and uh, I do think that I just want us to make a real good shout of it just like when we did go down I wanted us to make a real good shout of trying to stay up for our supporters and so that people see that we care about this and so I know for a fact these boys care deeply but Matthew's team, Matthew Tipton's team, have unquestionably got the knack, like Liverpool, that when they weren't playing well, they got the results. Mm-hmm. And we probably haven't acquired that knack. And that is my only thing. We hit potholes at times that we should go around them or over them or get past them. Um, we have to get out of them again and we go great. And then we find another pothole. Um, so that to me is just an example of a team that's in progress. I do believe that. But I also know when in one season you can hit a spell at the right time and it could turn everything so we're, we've got to live in hope don't we we have to and we do aspire to, to be as best as we possibly can and wherever that is you know I just want to be proud of the boys at the end of it all that they've given everything Harry it's been a share and another pleasure to have you in with us this afternoon thanks so much for coming on to the programme you're very welcome and thanks for having me and remember folks no matter what the result is in that game at the weekend stagger your text messages to Harry he needs his rest as well at some point Thank you for listening to the Score NI podcast with me, Michael Clark. We're back live with the whole show on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM on Friday from 1pm. Or you can subscribe to our podcast today to listen back to the first hour each week at your convenience. And in the meantime, keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We hope you can join us for the next episode.